found in Christ. Let us come to the preaching of his word. If you have your Bible still open, uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be preaching from verses 12 to 17, but I'm going to read from verse 1 for context purposes again. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the sorry, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive, again, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let us pray. Father, we come to your word in reverence. We come to your word knowing that when you have spoken, Lord, it is the most truest thing that we hear in the face of the earth. We thank you, Father, that we are not like the world who have to live with ambiguous thoughts, not knowing if there is a certain fact, not knowing if there is uh, absolute certainty. But we know that when you have spoke, you are the God of absolutes. You are the God of absolute certainty. And as we come to your word, we know that every word spoken are the words of the living and true God. And when we hear, oh Lord, we must obey. We must listen to it in reverence. And as we come now to the preaching of thy word, Father, I just pray that you would help me. You would help me proclaim this message to your people, that, Father, I would not have any way, shape, or form any glory of the preaching, but, O oh Lord, in your goodness and in your kindness, Jesus Christ shall be magnified in the presence of your dear saints here. Father, bless them. Bless the preaching of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning I want us to consider something which I believe in our day is very rarely taught in the contemporary church. I thank God that you here stand on the word of the living and true God and in fact have a man who does preach the whole counsel of God to you, which we all must be so thankful for. However, however, 
In modern day Christendom, what we will be looking at this evening, sorry, this morning, is very rarely preached in the day that we live. We shall be considering together this morning the inward evidences that we have in fact become children of God. As we read in uh, chapter 8 verse 16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, how do we know as individuals if we have indeed received the Holy Spirit and are in fact Christians? Some of you may be saying, well, Nick, we know we are Christians because we believe in Jesus Christ. And I say, amen. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not of works, but solely by the grace of God. However, however, we see many times in scripture people who claim to know Jesus, yet on that day they will hear those most terrible words. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. We see men such as Simon Magnus, or more commonly known as Simon the Sorcerer from Acts chapter 8, man who believed in Jesus and yet even made a profession of faith and was baptized in the name of Jesus yet we know from scripture and the historical um, account that he was nothing more than a fake and Peter rebukes him and tells him he has no place before the Lord brethren it pains me it pains me that in our day I fear that there are many churches who hold false converts, who claim to know Jesus, but on that day they will hear those most terrible words. Brethren, salvation in our day has been turned into nothing more than a mere decision to pray a prayer and then a church affirming after that prayer is prayed that they then can be sure that they are Christians. So, you may be saying, are you denying that salvation is by faith alone? Absolutely not. God forbid. Yet what we have lost in our day is how radical, how radical the new birth is. Yes, salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But we, as God's people, must affirm what the angel affirmed, which he announced in Matthew 1, 21. For his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people in their sin. No. He shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He did not say in their sins. And this is why Jesus, throughout the entirety of the Gospels, constantly tells us of parables of two kinds of people who claim to be in the kingdom of God. He gives examples of people who claim to be the people of God, yet he says they are either sheep or they are goats. They are either wheat or they are tares. One shall be cast away and the other shall be ushered into God's kingdom. Some of you may say, well, surely it's easy to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. Brethren, I don't know if many of you are aware, but if you go to the Middle East, sheep and goats look 
practically identical to one another. Goats can look very, very similar to sheep, and especially when they're in a crowd of people. Only the shepherd can distinguish them apart. Also, if you look at wheat and tares, they look identical. They grow together. And yet, to the unskilled eye, they may even be mistaken for one another. Jesus says, both these people claim to be in the kingdom of God, yet our Lord says very clear, it's only those who are true sheep and true wheat will be with him on that last day. So the question is, how can we, who profess to know Jesus Christ, know if we are sheep or goats? The question is, my friends, is vital and it must be asked of ourselves. Jesus again gives us the answer to this question. He says, you shall know them by their fruits. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. There will be evidences that one has passed from death to life. Our pastor, Ryan, said some time back, he said, a man is justified by faith, but a justified man looks like something. And I say, amen. A justified man is a sanctified man and being sanctified man. Not a perfect man, but one who shall have the marks or even maybe the buds of new life which has been planted within him at conversion. This is why Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and I quote him, I do not preach decisions, I preach regeneration, end quote. And I hear the Apostle Peter saying the exact same thing. He says, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 10. And Paul says the, the exact same thing. He says in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and and trembling. Brethren, I know this is not common in our day, but we must examine ourselves to see if we are indeed in the faith. Making our calling and election must be at the forefront of our minds as this has eternal consequences if we lack in this area. On the other hand, on the other hand, there is, my brethren, and there is another extreme, and you may have seen this, one of the things I have seen today, which I believe is just as much of a problem, is the amount of well-saved Christians who are constantly, constantly in doubt whether or not they are indeed Christians. The problem has one common denominator, bad theology. Friends, bad theology is not just wrong. Bad theology is cruel. It's cruel. We have liberal churches telling people that they've become Christians because they've said a, a sinner's prayer. Then we have the reaction to that of preachers who what I call fruit inspectors who are constantly putting the Christian under the microscope. So on the one hand we have very little self-examination and on the other hand too much self-examination and putting you under the microscope becoming miserable and therefore having no assurance. 
And this is why I want us to consider this morning the inward evidences as God does not want his people to be in limbo to whether they are in or out of the kingdom. The Apostle Paul, in this particular passage we are looking at, gives us three inward evidences or three tests so that we can be sure that we are in fact children of God. These three inward evidences or tests are completely unique to born-again children of God. Only those who have been saved will be experiencing what we will be looking at this morning. And friends, if these three tests are absent from your life, we must ask again, have you really come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Some of you may be saying, what is my motive here this morning? Is it to cause doubt in the congregation? Friends, I say quite the opposite. My aim is to help you, help you who are in Christ, to know the work that the Lord has started in you, and therefore being confident of the very thing that he will continue that work throughout all the days of your life and have the most blessed assurance that you are in fact in Christ. And those to whom maybe have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ to see the absence of these things and then to give you hope of the gospel saying Christ stands with his arms open wide ready to receive you into his everlasting arms. So this is what we're going to be looking at this morning, which leads me, if you're taking notes, to my first heading, which is titled, Led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. We read in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul says in verse 14, it's as many who are led by the Holy Spirit. He says these people are the sons of God, children of God. Just a few verses back, and that's why I wanted to read the context in verse 9, Paul tells us, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. In other words, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, therefore not being led by the Spirit, we are not Christians. Because Paul says in verse 14, it's those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So the question is, or the first test is, how do we know as individuals that we are in fact being led by the Holy Spirit? Now I'm sure if you were to turn on the God channel or even listen to some hyper-charismatic preacher, they would say that we are being led by the Holy Spirit if we have had certain manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I'm not here to get into a debate about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are genuine biblical manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we may confess truth, conviction of sin. But what I do say is even they can be counterfeited. Remember the slave girl in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 17, who followed Paul around saying, These servants, these servants are of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Friends, let me ask you this. 
Was what she was saying lying? Was she lying? Or did she proclaim the truth when she said those things? She spoke the truth. Yet Paul knew that she was of a different spirit and he cast the spirit out of her. And so we cannot, so what I'm saying is we cannot rely on manifestations. Or maybe in today's church, some would say, I've been led by the spirit to marry the right individual. Or I was led by the spirit at that time to get the best mortgage deal on my house. Or I felt led to do this. Or I felt led to do that. Friends, that is not what Paul is talking about in this context. I am not saying that the Spirit does not lead us in our day-to-day -day life. He absolutely does. But in context, Paul is telling us something which only those who are dwelt by the Holy Spirit encounter. Let us look a little closer. Verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And that die there is eternal death. It's D with a capital D. Those who live by the flesh will die and go to hell. So those who live according to the flesh, Paul is saying, are unregenerate men and women who live to the passions of the flesh. They will die and perish. However, however... Paul then says straight after in verse 13, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what is Paul saying? The 4 in verse 14 is linked to verse 13. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So how can you and I know if we are being led by the Spirit in this context? Paul is saying the Holy Spirit, if he dwells in you, will lead you as individuals to war with your sin. That is what's being said here. That is what's been said here. We, if we are being led by the Holy Spirit, will be giving death blows to sin in our life. Remember, he's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who takes out our God-hating heart and replaces it with one, with the Lord of God written on it. And not only that comes and lives inside of you. The mighty God who chose to dwell in you will cause you, if you are Christ, to war with your own sin. For he is holy and he must make you holy as well. You see, it's because of bad teaching in our day that we have made salvation a ticket to heaven and left out sanctification, the preparation process for heaven. God the Spirit's role in salvation, which we will look at this evening, is to apply salvation and change us and conform us into the image of his dear Son. Brethren, if you are Christ's, the Holy Spirit will not leave you in sin. Period. Some of you sat here. Battling sin should just take that in for a moment. The fact that you are battling sin is not the evidence 
that you're not a child of God. It's the very evidence that you are a child of God. How often the devil will whisper in your ear, oh, you're battling that sin again. You can't be a Christian. If you were a true child of God, you wouldn't surely be battling for this long. Oh, the wiles of the devil, they can be fiery at times and we will look at them next Sunday morning. But my friends, hear me. If you are here battling sin, it is the very telling proof that you have in fact passed from death unto life. It is only the Christian who is at war with sin. Are you at war with your sin this morning? The unconverted man, the one to whom Christ has not saved, is never, ever at war with sin. He's completely content with it. In fact, it never bothers him at all. It's just part of him. The man of the flesh does not does not long for the spiritual things. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not concerned of the absence of spiritual life. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, he does not even receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Brethren, this should be a very comforting piece of teaching for you if you're a true believer. As if you are in fact Christ this morning, you will know all about this battle. You will know of this putting to death the deeds of the body. You will know of the cutting off of arms, the gouging out of eyes. And I have the authority of scripture. If you know anything of this, you are in fact a child of God. I say that again. If you have experienced the battle with your sin. Scripture says you are being led by the Spirit and therefore can be assured that you are in fact a child of God. But if you know nothing of this battle, I say be very afraid. As when the Spirit of God comes into a believer's heart, he will make him war with the sin that crucified his Saviour. Now just before I move on, I don't want to discourage any in the congregation who are in fact true believers. We in this life battle. Yes, this is a daily fight. But because we are still in the body of sin and death, we at times fall into sin. Does that mean if you've fallen into sin that you're not being led by the Spirit? Absolutely not. Please hear me, brethren. Please hear me. I'm not giving room for a continuous lifestyle of sin that you keep going back to. Christian, hear me. If you're in Christ, you have power over sin through the Holy Spirit. For sin no longer has dominion over you. However, however, we do at times fall into sin as believers. But my friends, the difference is this. If you are now new, it has become the greatest of distresses to you. The greatest of distresses. I heard an analogy from Pastor Tim Conway. I don't know if you know the man, which I found really helpful. He says we've been given a new nature. If I get a pig and I throw a pig into muck, what does the pig do? He lies down, he loves and wallows in the muck. But if I get a lamb... I get a lamb or I get a, a sheep and I throw the sheep into the muck. 
what will the sheep do? He'll scamper. He'll do everything he can to get the muck off him. And that is like the Christian. We fall into sin. The righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises again. He does everything he can to be rid of the sin. He runs back to his loving father, confesses his sin and forsakes it. And he knows that even though he has sinned, he has a propitiation who is at the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So my friends, we may fall, but if you are Christ, the difference is you don't stay there. You will rise again and go back to your Savior to be washed in the blood. That is the first test. If you are at war with sin, I say you're a child of God. Which brings me to my second heading. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We then come to verse 15 and we read, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This here, my friends, I must admit, is one of the most wonderful evidences that we have in fact become children of God but I think it is completely overlooked in verse 15 we are told that we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear we as believers in Christ no longer have the spirit of the world what is that remember what it says in Hebrews 2 he that's Jesus himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had power of death over death that is the devil And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Paul is telling us, if we are Christians, we no longer have the spirit of adoption. Sorry, we no longer have the spirit of bondage where we fear God in the sense that we fear his judgment at death. I'm not saying we don't fear God, we do. But we don't fear his judgment at death. Christ, for the believer, has destroyed all fear of judgment but now we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba Father God is no longer a stern taskmaster we saw through the laws and its demands those who in Christ have received and it is the greatest of privileges we have now God as the great creator thrice holy as our loving heavenly father I truly do think we have lost sight of that, of that great and wonderful truth that we have been adopted. So the question, I'm sure you've been asking this, so the question, how is it, how does that manifest in our lives as an inward witness that we have in fact received the Holy Spirit? And I say, brethren, this is something that we as Christians should be happening to us on a daily basis. Are you ready? We are people who cry, Abba, Father. We are people who cry, Abba, Father. You may be saying, sorry, Nick. Are you telling me that anyone who says the words, Abba, Father, they're Christians? Absolutely not. But Paul doesn't say, just say, Abba, Father. He says, we cry, Abba, Father. He could have said say, but he doesn't. He says, cry. And my friends, 
This is where Christianity very does become experiential. We cannot fake this, as this is something we do not decide to do. When we come into trouble, or the battle of this Christian life, do we have this extreme urge within us to cry out to our father when that hard providence has come do you run into your closet and cry father i need you or when you've fallen into sin do you say father please forgive me I need you. I'm sorry. That, my friends, is the spirit of adoption. That is the Holy Spirit crying within us to run to our Father. If we are Christ, we will know this. We will know this. As in our greatest distress, we cannot find comfort until we are at the feet of our Father. Or maybe this you may still wonder. When you've not been in prayer as you ought, and you've not been in the Word of God, as you ought. Do you feel the hand of God pressing down upon you and you can do nothing else until you get alone with your father and say, I need to be with you. That's the spirit of adoption. Or maybe this, maybe this, when you fall into sin, do you feel your father for a moment turn his face away and you no longer feel the presence of him as you ought. Do you know the chastisement of your father? Until you get down on your knees and confess your sins to him. You see, God is not a bad father. He will, with his rod, strike the back of his children. And do you know what the paradox of that is? When we feel the rod, that comforts us. Because we know... That the Lord, who the Lord disciplines, then he loves. If you are disciplined, we know that he deals with us as sons. But if we can live in sin, high, wide and handsome, with no discipline, the Bible calls us illegitimate sons. If that is you, who cannot help but go to your father when you have sinned because you feel his distance, that is the spirit of of adoption. The unregenerate man does not see God as his father. The carnal man may be caught up with sudden trouble and cry out to God and go, oh God, oh God help me. But when the situation has passed, he has no relationship with, a, with his loving heavenly father. In fact, he goes straight back into the sin which he loves and thinks nothing more of the problem. So if you can say with conviction, that happens to me on a daily basis. I need to be with my father. I cry out to him in trouble. I cry out to him when I have sinned. I say the spirit himself is bearing witness with your spirit. And you are a child of God. Which leads me to my final point. My final point we read. Provided we suffer with him. We come to the last verse in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Some translations say provided. And I think that is a better translation. Provided we suffer with him. So the next test is, indeed, or provided we suffer with him. And friends, in the day that we live, 
We must be honest with ourselves. The doctrine of suffering has almost been removed from churches. We are told things in modern day Christianity and especially in the prosperity gospel that the, today God's plan for us is for everyone to be happy, healthy and prosperous. Yet the Bible is very clear. Suffering, as we read in this last, in this last test, suffering is very much part of the Christian life. I asked you in 2023 and I asked myself, do we know that? Do we, do we know that? suffering is provided how often we skip over it because let's be honest it makes us feel uncomfortable and i think today as christian people friends you may shoot me down in flames i think we are too comfortable i think we are too comfortable we have no idea what suffering really is in comparison to saints who have gone before us nevertheless nevertheless we are heirs of god and joint heirs with christ indeed or provided we suffer with him and let me also tell you this it's not, just, it's not just expected that we suffer with Christ. Guess what? It's been granted. It's been granted to you as a gift to suffer with Christ. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe. We say that's a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. It's been granted. But it says this, But also to suffer for his sake. So it's not just expected, as I said, it's granted just in the same way it has been granted for you and I to believe. We as reformed people love that. It's been granted sovereign grace to believe. But it's also been granted for us to suffer with him. It's a gift of God to you and here this morning to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. I'd like to see that message preached in Joel Osteen's church and Kenneth Copeland's church and see how long it takes for the money to stop being, being gifted. But the Bible also takes it one step further. It also says that it's blessed when suffering comes. My brethren, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 112, blesses the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to all those who love him. And our Lord on the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my, falsely for my sake. Brethren, we can't get away from it. This is the lot of every Christian. Suffering. It's a gift from God to you as believers here today. Now what does that mean? Does that mean we've got to go out into the streets of London, proclaim the gospel and get some persecution? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It can mean persecution for proclaiming and declaring the name of Jesus Christ. However, more specifically, more specifically, in our Christian life, God, our Father, is going to put us in situations where we are going to suffer. Some of you may be objecting to that. Some of you may not be liking that. But I say with the authority of scripture, God will give you trials to which you shall suffer. Don't take my word, let's take the Apostle Paul for an example. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations of a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Some of you may be saying, no, 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 Nick, that's Satan, that, that's Satan. That's not God, that's Satan. I say, fair enough, fair enough. 
But was the Lord aware of Paul's thorn? Let me just carry on reading to you. Concerning this thing, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord refused to take away Paul's thorn, which was causing him so much suffering. As the Lord who allowed it to give, sorry, the Lord didn't always just allow, he gave him, he said it was given him to keep Paul humble and to be, lest he be exalted above measure. You see, brethren, the Lord knows us. We're prone to pride. We're prone to idolatry. We're prone to those things where we think we're getting on with sanctification and we don't need God as we are. We don't need prayers. Bang, suffering comes. And what do we do? We fall down on our knees and cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out for help because God knows what we need. And this is the test, which I get back to. This is the test. Are we willing to go through suffering For the sake of Christ. Whether that's hard providence. Illness. The death of a loved one. Or whatever it may be. That causes us pain. Are we willing through God's help. To endure to the end. Or are we going to be like the seed. That falls on stony ground. That rejoices. Springs up with joy. Suffering comes. The cares of the world come. And we just go this is too much for me. If God was real. I'm just going to walk away. How are we going to be? How are we going to be with our suffering regime? Because God has given us a suffering regime. Are we going to complain like spoilt children? And how often we do complain like spoilt children. And that is why I say with conviction of my soul, that is why the prosperity gospel and the people who have preached are vile. I have no apology to say that. Jesus said in John 13, 16, the servant is no greater than his master. And if the Lord Jesus who was a man acquainted of grief, man of sorrows, what thinks that we can get away from living the same life as him? What thinks, who do we think we are? That the captain of our salvation, who is a man of sorrows, that we may escape it. And this is why true Christianity, my friends, it's not just the door that's narrow, but the Bible says the way is narrow. And few find it. Friends, Christianity, true biblical Christianity, it's hard. It's a hard life. So you're saying, is it a miserable life? God forbid. God forbid it's a miserable life because we know that it is a prize set before us. We look to the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we remember his promises and we stand on them. Fear not and be not dismayed for he is with us and he will help us through all of our trials and tribulations. Now, I'm not saying that we will always do it with a spring in our step, but by the grace of God, through the furnace of affliction, The dross shall be consumed and God shall refine that gold to which he has placed in us. The spirit through the suffering will not, even when we want to walk away, will cause us to look to the author and perfecter of our faith. And he shall remind us of the most glorious promises. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us brethren that's the blessed hope the blessed hope that christ has given to each and every single one of us if we are indeed his
I conclude. I conclude with a few comments. Firstly, I want to address those to whom are in Jesus Christ. These inward evidences will not be ambiguous to you. You will have heard all three and warring with sin. I'm crying to my father for help. And even though this Christian life is hard, I say, where else am I to go? For you have the words of eternal life. You will have those inward evidences in your life and they will be a daily reoccurrence. And if that is you, I speak to you firstly. Be done today with any more doubt whether you're in the kingdom or out the kingdom. Draw a line today for he who has begun a good work in you shall finish it and bring it to completion. You are secure. You've been sealed by the spirit and he is the, inher- he is the guarantee of our inheritance. No more doubts. Run to Christ. And be thankful and praise his name for he has sealed you, saved you, washed you, cleansed you and brought you into the family of God. Be assured that you are of him. And lastly, I talk to you who may have made a profession of faith. Who may be thinking, I've been a Christian for years. Or maybe you have never become a Christian or never never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. You You will see that these These evidences are absent from your life, for they are unique to the believer. And I say, if that is you here this morning, I say, is there no hope for you? No. Repent. Repent. Turn from self and look unto Christ. And he says, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. If that is you today, hope is not lost. Heaven's doors are not closed. The last Gentile has not yet come in. The clouds have not opened. Come to Christ, for he has promised he will wash you and make you clean. Amen. We're going to sing our final hymn.